Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, September 30th. I'm Terry Aranga with my guests from the UK, Polly Tommy and Oliver Jones. Polly Tommy is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of the Autism File magazine and has been managing director of its UK publisher, Cincinnati Limited, for many years. Polly is also the founder of the Autism Trust, a UK-registered charity focused on building an inspiring and sustainable future for children with autism in the UK when they leave full-time education. Polly is regarded as one of the leading figures in autism in the UK, being featured regularly as a sector expert in the national media. Polly is currently directing and presenting two investigative television documentaries to be broadcast in 2009 in partnership with the award-winning producer Michael Nunn. Polly is married to Jonathan Tommy, who runs the autism clinic, and they have three children, one of whom has autism. Oliver Jones is chairman of the Autism Trust and is actively involved in the autism file. He is godfather to an autistic child, and his own daughter has improved from a dyslexia diagnosis. Oliver serves as chairman of a number of commercial businesses and not-for-profit organizations. Polly and Oliver, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us, Terry. Thanks for having us, Terry. Jonathan Tommy, a clinical nutritionist who runs the autism clinic, could not be with us today due to an emergency. Polly, did you want to share with us? Yes. Um, unfortunately, John had to fly out uh, very suddenly last night to another country to treat a very sick boy, a 14-year-old boy that um, we've been looking after for some time um, who is in dire need of, of help. So John has had to go out, and I think everybody who has a child with autism will understand that um, that is a priority. Absolutely. Well, Polly, what do most of the parents from the UK who contact you say about their child's onset of autism? Well, most of the calls that we get here are parents who have children with autism who are very sick. They complain that their children have diarrhea or constipation, that they are bent over a lot in pain, um, the non-verbal ones are the more difficult ones because obviously they can't t- say where their pain is. And they really are desperate, these parents, because when they go to the doctors over here, the doctors can't help them. They don't know what to do. And many of them say that this is what autism is. There's the pain that they are in, although the doctors don't say it's the pain, it's the parents that are saying it's the pain, um, really are just a symptom of autism and that, that is what it is and you have to go away and, and try and develop a new life for your child and get over it and that's very much how the doctors over here think. So it's a difficult for us here, I mean luckily John has retrained as a nutritionist and is now running the autism clinic so he can help these children but these poor parents, they really are on their own out here. Now is this uh, limited to the UK or are you getting these same kinds of calls and letters from other countries? Now, we're getting this worldwide. I mean, the main calls that come in are from the UK, but now that we've distributed the magazine further out of field, we're getting a lot of calls from all different countries with the same thing, that they're finding that their children are in pain, they're crying, they don't understand why they're crying, they've got bloated tummies, they've got this awful gut problems that seems to be something that most of these children have, 
and they don't know how to help them and the doctors don't know how to help them, so they don't know where to go to get this help either. Why is that, do you think, Polly? You said the doctors don't know what to do. I know that there are now at least some doctors in the United States who know what to do. Why do you think so many doctors, including in the U.K., don't know what to do? I think the problem is um, John's brother, for example, is a GP over here, so he's a good example to use. He said he did five years training to become a doctor, and in that five years there was one optional seminar that he could go to if he wanted to on autism. He chose not to, as many young doctors don't want to go unless they have to. And so he never, ever learned anything about autism. I mean, there is much more in the press and media. And the, and the unfortunate thing also is that a lot of parents do feel that the MMR has, has played a part in this. And doctors are frightened to get involved in that because of, well, obviously, you know what happened to, to Dr. Wakefield. And this country is very anti-talking about that kind of thing. And anybody who stands up and says that there could be a problem with the MMR really gets shouted down. So I think that the doctors are scared to look into it. I think that's really the biggest problem we've got over here. Now, you mentioned that your brother-in-law could have taken one course in autism. But really, when you look at these children, if they have constipation or diarrhea or constipation alternating with diarrhea or manifesting uh, symptoms of severe gastrointestinal pain, why would one need a course in autism uh, for that? Wouldn't that just indicate to a doctor that the child was having a gastrointestinal issue? That's common to any sort of medical practice. Absolutely. Um, Terry, when we took our son in to the doctors when he had diarrhea, water diarrhea, I mean, pumping out of him, he was so sick, the doctor told me this was toddler diarrhea and perfectly normal. So they don't think that this is anything out of the ordinary. They see so many children with diarrhea and constipation that they now assume that this is normal for a child with autism. And the worst thing about it is that they think it's acceptable for a child with autism to have these problems. Would it be acceptable for any other child or adult? Absolutely not, and that's what we're fighting for. We're trying to change this and trying to get re-educate the doctors to at least listen to what we're saying. And that's why the very good doctors that we know about, mostly from America, um, and as John always says, you have to listen to the parents because until you, the doctors do listen to us parents and take it seriously what we're saying, they're not going to understand it. They, they cannot, simply cannot say that this is a symptom of autism because it's not. Now, you were talking about um, thoughts that parents who write to you have about uh, their child's onset of autism. Can you elaborate from letters and such that you've received? Yeah, we've we've had some very desperately sad letters. We've had letters about parents that are very, very lonely. There's a lot of um, marriages that, that, that break up, sadly, over this, because as we know, as parents of autism, uh, parents of children with autism, it's really tough. And, you know, when your child's up all night or he's pooing all over the floor all night, and, and people don't understand. And so sometimes that's why the marriages break up, because people can't cope. And I think the, the saddest letters we get are the ones that are lonely, the parents that really cannot cope and don't know where to turn to. They, don't, they can't get any help from their health visitor. They can't get any help from anybody at all. And even some of the support groups that pe people go to are really not supportive because they also don't understand what they can do about it. So they tend to sit around talking about how desperate the situation is, which doesn't help anybody. Mm. What is the situation like in the U.K. insofar as when children are diagnosed and then what limited services they might receive? 
Well, things have changed since Billy had his diagnosis, and they have moved on, I have to say that. But the waiting list to get a diagnosis is huge. So unless you've got the money to go private, you have to wait far too long. When you're told that your child is on the autistic spectrum, you are pretty much left alone still, and they will not, still will not accept that there could be biomedical problems there. So you do tend to get the odd portage worker that comes around. I don't know if you have portage workers out there, but really a portage worker is a lady that comes around and sits in your house. The one that came around for Billy sat in my house and said she was going to wait for Billy to come to her. Well, there was no way Billy was ever going to come to her because he wasn't even aware she was in the house. And so that was, that was it. That was the extent of our help then. And it really hasn't got a lot better, but it has got a bit better. So now your son Billy is 12 years old. What happened when Billy was 13 months old? When Billy was 13 months, I was one of those parents that was desperate to be a perfect mother, and I had my little red book, which was a health book, that you took around and you ticked all the vaccinations and things that your child had, and you went away feeling proud of yourself. You'd done a good job. Billy, aged 12 months, was when he was supposed to have his MMR, and I took him down there, and he was so sick with a high temperature that they did actually turn him away and told me to come to come back the next month, which I did religiously exactly a month to the day, went back with him, and he was still on antibiotics, and he had the vaccination. Within 24 hours, he was in hospital. Uh, he had convulsed very badly, and he had yet more antibiotics. And from then on in, we never really got Billy back. He was very, very sick. He, his hair fell out. He was throwing up the whole time. The diarrhea was unbelievable. He lost loads of weight. He was covered in big sores all over his body. He was very, very sick. And it wasn't until somebody put a, a note to our door that there'd been an article on how gluten and casein-free diet could possibly help children that we started to look at the fact that we could help Billy. And from then on in, we did help Billy, and he's now a completely different child. You know, it's really ironic uh, to me that so often in the media, uh, the parents are characterized as being anti-vaccine. Um, one actress over here even even called us parasites, and it's really ironic because like you, um, you know, I, I was trying to be such a good mother, and um, I took my child for all of his vaccines, you know, right on time to the day. So we weren't anti-vaccine, you and I, okay. and so many others. Um, and then this happened to our children, and now um, we have very good reason to be wary and to try to uh, save other children for, from going through the same uh, suffering and uh, loss of communication and loss of functionality, loss of health, etc. We were described recently um, as a bunch of mothers here in the UK that sit around having coffee mornings trying to blame someone or something for our child's disability. And that's really how we're perceived over here, which is very sad because, all, like you say, all we're trying to do is to stop this happening to other children. Right. And uh, also, for children who are already affected, we are trying to help provide information to help them with their legitimate physiological issues. Um, the autism epidemic has so many legitimately physiologically ill children, and I think it's inhumane not to help them with appropriate medical care to heal the underlying conditions. 
Absolutely. And also, you know, there are very few doctors here that do try and address the gut problems, um, use inappropriate methods as well. And I think that uh, it, they really need to get the training by going to some of these GAN conferences or any conference that they can. If we can get the doctors here to go and listen to the people who know what they're talking about, then we've done a very good thing because it's about educating them. And it's not about screening hysterical parents trying to blame anyone. It really isn't. I mean, why on earth would we waste our time doing that? Right. The, this is the most highly educated group of parents who have really gone to great lengths to educate themselves on so many different scientific disciplines, et cetera, virtual doctors, nurses, teachers, speech therapists, nutritionists. And when we come back, I'd like to talk with you more, Polly, about your son, Billy. Okay. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Polly Tommy and Oliver Jones, and we were talking with Polly about her son, Billy. Um, Polly, you described to us what happened when 
Billy was 13 months old. Um, he was still ill. He was on antibiotics. He was given an MMR shot, and he had a swift and cruel regression that you described with sores and diarrhea. When was Billy actually diagnosed? And I, I understand that he still wasn't talking at six years old. No, he wasn't. He was Before he had his MMR, he was babbling and pointing, and there was no reason whatsoever, apart from his chest and ear infections that I kept throwing antibiotics down his neck for, he was a normal little healthy chubby little chappy. He was fine. Um, so after, very, very soon after the MMR, he really did regress very badly. And even when we were in hospital with him, they did say, you know, some children do have a reaction to it. So we didn't think an awful lot more. We thought this would all be okay. But like so many people that I speak to, so many parents, very, very similar history, very similar story, that it's almost immediately they go into this trance, they lose their eye contact, they don't point. I mean, it's really heartbreaking to have a child that would put his arms up to you to be picked up, and then after he has something like the MMR, then that's it. We lose all of that. We, lose, we lost everything. Billy would just sit in front of the television and watch Spot the Dog over and over again. He wouldn't, he wouldn't come to his name. He really, and this happened quite quickly with Billy. I speak to other parents that it happens over months or, or maybe within the first year, but with Billy, it happened really very, very quickly. You know, I, I, you made an observation earlier um, about doctors thinking that, for example, the manifestations of gastrointestinal pathology are just part and parcel of autism because now they see so much of it. And I think it's horrible that this has happened to so much of the population. Uh, I think that there's a real danger of this being regarded as a new normal uh, because now the doctors are seeing these symptoms in children so often and um, they're not connecting that it didn't used to be this way and something's gone awry. They're just saying that since so many children have this now, you know, it's normal. Is that the kind of observation you were trying to make? Yes, basically the doctors over here are saying water diarrhea is toddler diarrhea. Um, it, the, the pain that we feel that these children are in, the, the change in our children is normal and typical of a child with autism. And they're saying that the age that we're seeing this, which is of course when they have their MMR, is when a child would be diagnosed with autism anyway. So they're not having any of it. They're saying it's a normal time for a child to get autism and get diarrhea and get all the other things and the spots and the hair falling out and the swollen tummy. I mean, it's ridiculous how you would have a child that was perfectly healthy to a child that suddenly was so sick. So they're not having any of it over here at all. None of the doctors. They're just not interested. It's immensely frustrating, Terry, if I can just chip in, because uh, I speak to a lot of parents who are smart, intelligent professionals who uh, one knows that they will have evaluated the situation completely and the fact that they all conclude absolutely in their hearts and their heads that there's a direct linkage between having had the inoculation and uh, their child having developed the symptoms, that uh, it seems remarkable that there isn't greater levels of investigation. I know you've had much more in the United States, but in the UK it is, as Polly mentioned earlier, a little bit of a taboo. Right. Um, still here in the United States, my son's doctor said it was a coincidence of timing. And, um, you know, there are still children here all the time uh, where they, their parents will take them to a doctor, and, for example, for gastrointestinal issues. 
and it will be regarded as just part and parcel of autism. You know, um, as soon as they hear the autism diagnosis, their mind is kind of closed. And you know, Terry, the other thing is that we're finding is that there are people contacting us here, people in eminent positions, uh, whatever it is, but they are, they have children with autism and they do believe that the MMR has caused their child's autism, but they're way too frightened to speak out. A journalist of a very big important paper over here rang me up and he said, look, carry on the good work, Polly. I can't write about this. I will lose my job. Another woman who we know who's really high up in a big chain of retail outlets, same thing. She was in a position to do something big about this, and she said, I can't risk it. I will lose my job. So this is the problem we've got, is that we're fighting on our own with the parents that can fight, but none of the big professionals, none of the politicians, they do not want to get involved in it because nobody wants to lose their job. Well, I always come back to the... A statement that Dr. Wakefield made and continues to make, and um, I I hope that I can can do it justice from memory, that uh, he and his family uh, considered what they've gone through as nothing compared to the suffering of these children and their families, and so uh, the work would go on. Uh, yeah, well, doctors, our biggest loss in the UK here to lose Dr. Wakefield. Um, and it's your big gain over there in the U.S. Uh, it was it, that that I think frightens a lot of people, a lot of professionals. I mean, well, look what happened to him. So if they stand up and, and agree with him, then what, then they feel that they're going to lose their life, just like Dr. Wakefield did. Although I'm sure he's very happy over there. Um, exactly, that type of intimidation is absolutely wrong, and it's been very hurtful to the children there. I think so. Let's get back to Billy. I understand, uh, again, Billy wasn't talking at, at six years old. So what kind of interventions did you and Jonathan use to move him so far forward now? Well, John worked very, very hard on the biomedical side. He threw himself into it. Uh, he made it his life. He retrained. He went to the Dan conferences, and he just put everything, started writing about it, every single issue, and parents started to relate to that, and he basically followed what he was doing. Billy was, I suppose, in a way, a sort of guinea pig because John was trying out every treatment that he could. I mean, he was careful about what he tried with Billy, and he looked at Billy, and he said, right, these are the issues. Billy has massive diarrhea. We did... I mean, in the very, very early days, we did try secretin because we, that was our first port of call. And the amazing thing about secretin at the time, we now know that that is not the way forward for Billy, but at the time, what it did, which showed us that we needed to address his gut, was it he did the most enormous stool. I think that's the right word to use on radio. The most enormous stool. And we've never seen anything like it come out of Billy. And after he, uh, Billy did this, he was much more alert. He would look at us. It was fleeting, but we knew something had changed in that. So we knew that Billy had a gut problem, and that was the first thing that John addressed. Uh, so he, he, he lent on many doctors in the, in the U.S. and grabbed as much information as he could and slowly started to treat the gut with as many things as he felt appropriate. And that was the biggest change we saw in Billy. We looked at the diet. Diet, we now know, is hugely important. Get the wrong diet. 
and your child is not going to do very well. You really must look at the diet. And Paul Shattuck was fantastic. He's a great guy over here, by the way. And I, I'm saying that all this, there's not much over here. There are people over here, but there's not very many of them. And he has worked tirelessly on the gluten and casein-free diet. And that helped enormously. So one by one, by addressing, addressing Billy's problems biomedically, John got the answers he was looking for. What many people ring us and say to us, what actually made Billy speak? That's a really hard question. I think it's got to be a number of all the biomedical things that we did with Billy. We also did other things. We did cranial osteopathy. We did massage. We did ABA for a tiny, tiny amount of time because it didn't work for Billy. Because as John always says, if your child is sick, how on earth can you expect them to learn? Exactly. So he always used to say to me, if you've got a massive migraine and you go to bed and I ask you to write an essay on on something, you're not going to be able to do it. So how on earth can Billy even attempt to start learning anything? And so we dropped the ABA and we just concentrated on making Billy's health better. And I can't take any credit for that because John really did that. I was very lucky to have a husband that threw himself into biomedical, which meant that I could work on the educational side of it. I have to say that Billy did go to a number of schools and there is nothing worse than sending your child to a bad school. For anybody listening, if your child is in the wrong school, he is better off at home than in the wrong school because Billy really became aggressive. They were dragging him into the teacher's head office every two minutes because he wasn't behaving and he ended up biting people because the people working with him didn't understand that he, that what autism was about. So schooling is very important as well, that you get the right educational backup with the biomed. So you looked at Billy's diet and improved that. You used gluten and casein-free. You were working on healing his gut. Did you address things like viruses, uh, uh, fungi, bacteria? Were these things that helped heal the gut and other issues? All of those things. John looked at every single thing. Billy had massive candida. He treated Billy's candida with a number of different things. And I, probably, I won't do him justice if I, if I tried to start talking about all of those. But he definitely he looked at the candida element of Billy, and that was huge. And in fact, on one specific thing that Billy was on, when he was heavily being treated for candida, he actually turned yellow while he was having the treatment, and he climbed the walls. And we were advised to keep pushing Billy through this. And we did this, and it was very brave of John because I was being more of a mummy saying, oh, you can't do this to him. But in fact, he came out the other side, and he was so much better at the end of it. And also, the other thing, lots of supplements. John really, really did lots of diagnostic testing to find out what it was that that was wrong with Billy. And And the other thing that's very important about this is that what works for Billy will not necessarily work for another child because he does believe, and I think he's right here, that each of these children with autism, they are different and they need to have their own protocol made up for them. Exactly, and that's another reason that we need more trained and experienced professionals. Um, If you're going to, to our listeners, if you're going to use any significant uh, biomedical interventions with your child, Please do remember that every person's physiology is different, and to do this under the medical oversight of a physician trained and experienced and up-to-date in the uh, latest information on the underlying roots of autism, the physiological issues, and interventions. And thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and we'll be right back.
opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with our guests, Polly Tommy and Oliver Jones. And Polly was telling us about interventions that she used that she and John used to help their son, Billy. And keep in mind that every child is different, and this needs to be tailored for your unique child uh, under the oversight of an experienced physician who also provides uh, regular monitoring, lab testing as appropriate. So, Polly, you told us that you you and John uh, changed Billy's diet, uh, worked on healing his gut, addressed viruses, uh, fungi, bacteria, use supplements, craniosteopathy, and Billy has just come so far forward on the road of recovery. How do you feel now when you hear Billy insist that his father, John, must be named after Toy Story's Stinky Pete? Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. I mean, amazing. I have to say, the day we heard Billy's voice, he counted to 10. That was the most amazing. I didn't think I'd ever hear Billy speak. You have to remember that when he was two, with no hair and a bloated tummy, he was banging his head pretty much 24-7. He didn't sleep, and he was had no idea that we were his parents. 
I didn't think we'd ever hear that child speak. And now he's calling John Stinky Pete from Bugs Life. He's living out Bugs Life. He's Flick. I'm Princess Atta. We have it all named over our bed. He's living in these wonderful dreams. He's talking to us. He can tell us when his tooth hurts. There is so much he can do now. He's still autistic. He still doesn't understand some questions we ask him, and he can't give us a complete repertoire of what happened that day. But I never thought I'd hear this. And I really have to say that this is largely down to the biomedical interventions that John put into our son. Um, and yes, it was an early age, but I do feel that this can be addressed at any age. So was Billy instrumental in how the autism file started? Why is there so still such a great need for this magazine, even though one would think we'd be farther down the road in the past two decades? Yes, Billy was instrumental in this. Uh, we did a television program with our son just as, as he was being diagnosed, and the, and the essence of the program really was that we were asking if there was anyone that could help us because we were in such a dire situation. Instead of getting help, and to be fair, a few parents uh, wrote to us with, with suggestions, we got simply inundated. We had 250,000 hits. It, uh, LWT put the program out, said that their computers crashed that night. So from that, with these files and files of emails and letters, we couldn't ignore it, and we also couldn't answer their questions at that stage. So we decided the best thing to do was to put together a magazine where parents could answer each other's questions. That was 10 years ago. Now, we, as you know, we have doctors and many, many eminent people in the autism world writing, parents telling us what did and didn't happen for their child. And I think parents are very, very hungry out there for more information and the latest update on everything. They can get a lot of it from the web, but, it, but people like to have things through their door, in their hand, to take on the train, to take to work, to take to bed, and to read and digest at their own time. And it's, I think it's the parents' stories as well that really hit home. Parents trust other parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's been so successful. And it, it's sad, really, that it, that it is so successful because it's, now that we're becoming worldwide, it is a worldwide problem, autism. It isn't a UK problem. It isn't a US problem. It is a worldwide problem. And I think the exciting thing about it is that we can learn from all over the world, and that's how we're going to get the answers, Terry. We're going to learn from listening to each other all over the world what they're doing, and by that we can get some of the answers we so desperately need. Yes, and, and our children are fortunate that there are some, you know, doctors and researchers of great integrity out there, like Dr. Wakefield, who are working every day to find answers for them. Yes, and, and they don't get enough credit. Instead, you know, we know how Dr. Wakefield is treated. We know how other people, Dr. Quigman even. And I think it's very sad that that is happening. But they're being strong and they're carrying on with their work. So that's, that's a real incentive for us all to do the same thing. And also, to be honest with you, Terry, how on earth can we stop what we're doing when we see the letters and the pleading calls that come in? And it's really unacceptable how some of these families are living, how some of these children are living in the pain they are. And, and it needs to be addressed as a worldwide issue. Absolutely. Well, the magazine is now a journal-type publication of approximately 130 pages and is in the U.K., Australia, the United States, and Canada, and in Spain and Spanish. Might the autism file also be found on shelves in additional countries eventually? Oh, yes. Well, we're on the shelves in Australia, and we are by subscription worldwide. But, yes, we, we have been asked by Italy, Germany, Poland, France 
to translate out there. But uh, it's a money issue, and we will get there eventually. We will we will get to all the countries that need it. It's just you know it, it's still it's still a small business that's growing very fast, very quickly, and it's sad that it has. But it's an essential tool for parents. Absolutely. Uh, where can listeners go for more information? www.autismfile.com. That's our website. You can click into any of the U.S. issues or the American issues, uh, the um, sorry U.K. issues that you need to, to get help from, and also the different editors and the different staff here that we've got that can help. And we and if we don't know the answer to your question, because we don't profess to know everything at all. Uh, we will try our very, very best to get you the help that you need. And that's the point of it. Uh, by even simply writing a letter in the letters column with the problem you've got, we will get you the help. And there's enough people out there, there's some very, very intelligent parents out there that will be able to help and, and find the answers. And I think, you know, Terry, a lot of parents think that they're on their own with certain problems. And I can guarantee that whatever your problem is, there are many, many more people out there with the same problem as you. Mm-hmm. And um, you even have a, uh, a Dear Abby columnist, uh, Ask Chantal, and Chantal is an award-winning author. And she yeah, is- we're very, very lucky to have Chantal. Chantal joined us a, a year or so ago, and she's been wonderful. People love her. They can write whatever they like to her, and it can be any subject. Chantal will deal with it. And, and for that, she's become an extremely popular part of the autism file, so we're very grateful to Chantal, very grateful. Well, John now calls autism a biological disorder with a psychological diagnosis, and and I think that that is a, a good explanation. He has seen hundreds of other children, some who, to some of uh, them, to him seem recovered. So, can you please share a couple of those success stories? Yeah, I mean, John has treated a lot of children, and he's still treating a lot of children. But the the loveliest thing that we get is when we get a call here that's a parent who's often crying, emotionally happy, that they've heard their child speak for the first time. And really, this is a child. These parents, this one particular woman, she called in, and she was desperate. Her child was in, the same as Billy, really, with the, the constant diarrhea, she was very much on her own. She didn't have any money, and she really did not know where to turn. And John took this lady on and took this family on, and he treated the gut like he did with Billy. He looked at every single aspect of the child. He spent a lot of time talking to the parents about what it is, their day-to-day life, what they're feeding them, what it's like having this child. And one by one, he broke down the different problems within this child. He did a lot of diagnostic testing. And if John doesn't know the answers, which he doesn't to everything, he will go and seek advice from the great many other doctors worldwide that he has contact with. He doesn't profess to knowing everything. He says, I need help with this child. But with this particular child, again, the mother felt that she would never hear this child speak. I mean, I wasn't expecting that either. But once this gut was working again, and it was the child was doing normal stools, I mean, she rang up and she said, I'm so excited we're celebrating. My child is doing a normal poo. Now, that to her was the most exciting thing that has happened in five years with her child since she was damaged. She felt by the MMR. And so we, we can understand and share her excitement because when you live with a child that is, has this awful diarrhea and constipation and agony, for it to settle down is very exciting. And so he moved on. He treated the candida and the various other. He looked at the de- detoxification and he then, and the inflammation, which John feels is very big with these children, 
And this child did start talking. And now this child has leapt above Billy. He's way more high-functioning than Billy, which is fantastic for the, for the parents. And he's now in a mainstream school and doing very, very well. And that's just one of a great many stories. Oh, my God. That's great. But saying that there are children that, you know, don't progress as quickly as Billy or the, or the child I was just talking about, uh, but they're still progressing and the parents are still so happy that the child that was so sick is now maybe sleeping through the night. That's a massive achievement for the, for the whole family. Yes, it is. And I know what you mean about being excited about, you know, looking at a, uh, a BM, a bowel movement. I remember uh, looking at one of my sons and describing to the practitioner on the phone the length, the width, uh, and exactly what it looked like, uh, I was just jumping up and down with glee, and he said, uh, that, Terry, I don't need that level of detail, but <laughs> when you see a, a normal adult-looking stool, it's, it, it's quite exciting. Yes. Um, so, um, yes, that all those things, and even, you know, when your child looks at you and, and you haven't had your child look at you for so long, that is exciting. All the things that we take for granted, with, or people probably do, and I certainly did before I had Billy's problems, you really embrace those things, and those are the things that are, are improvement. And, and also parents need to know that you, there are things to make your life, child's lives so much better. It doesn't have to be, this is autism, this is what you get with it, because I'm sorry, that is just simply not the case. Really, I yeah, the, the main thing is to improve the child's health, which leads to many other things, improvement in cognition, thinking, behavior, functionality, better prospects for a safe, healthy, more functional, independent future. So, again, um, the autism epidemic has so many legitimately physiologically ill children, and, again, I think it's inhumane not to help them with appropriate medical care to heal the underlying physiological conditions. And Polly, what do you think the autism epidemic, and we know that an epidemic cannot be a genetics-only situation, what do you think the autism epidemic portends for the future if we don't biomedically help children and teenagers very quickly as John has? What kinds of letters do you receive about the future? Oh, well, this is the thing. This is the really sad thing. This is our new venture because I, it started off when I, I went into Billy's school. Billy's now in a school for children with autism, and he's doing so well there. And I had a meeting with the headmistress, Stephanie Lord, and I said to her, what happens to Billy when he leaves your fabulous school? Where does he go then? And she said, the sad thing is, Polly, is that we work with these children so hard, and they leave here almost suited and booted, ready for some kind of work. No one's saying they're going to go into the city and be... City boys, we're talking about some kind of skill, life skills or vocational skills. And she said they leave here and they go downhill so quickly because they can't get employment. So from that, I then sent out 350 questionnaires to some of our subscribers, just asking them what they felt the future was about, what would happen to our children, where would they go when they, when they reach the age of 18. And the response was frightening and very, very upsetting. Parents wrote to us in droves about how some parents, or one person in particular, said that she hopes that life gives her a pill that she can take with her child when she no longer knows that she's going to be around to look after her child. We've had cases over here already of parents that have, have taken their lives uh, because they feel that there isn't a safe place for their child to go and they don't want to be, leave this life themselves without their child. Now, that's just 
awful. That's a terrible situation. But you know what, Terry, if I was really honest, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't want to leave Billy in this world if there was no one to look after him because only we as parents know exactly what our children need when they get older. As they get older, they get bigger, they get stronger, and they need more specific help. So with that in mind, from the response of this, um, Ollie Jones, who's here with me now, I asked him I, to, to help me build somewhere where children growing into adults and adults could have a future where they could use their life skills or use their potential, have ongoing support to put something back into, into the community themselves, to have a real sense of uh, purpose, really. That's what they deserve, to live with dignity and respect. And actually, you know, there's some great brains inside these children and these adults, whether verbal or nonverbal. Yes. There are things that they can do, Terry. And so that's why we've set up the Autism Trust. That's absolutely correct. And we're going to talk about the Autism Trust when we return. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Hypnosis, what a completely misunderstood word. There are all kinds of myths and superstitions surrounding the concept of hypnosis. The truth is that it can be used safely in practices of health and wellness. Join consulting hypnotist Jennifer Van Wee for the program Hypnosis for Positive Life Changes and learn how to experience relaxation to enhance your ability to cope with stress and other complicated issues. Hypnosis for Positive Life Changes airs Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Oliver Jones and Polly Tommy, and Polly introduced us to Oliver in the last segment. So, Oliver, please tell us about the Autism Trust. First, simply its focus and objective. Okay, Terry. Well, uh, the Autism Trust, we, we set it up a couple of years ago with the particular focus of building an inspiring, sustainable, and what we call a real future for the many children with autism in the UK today, for all the reasons that Polly was talking about. Uh, our objectives are to set out a new template that others can learn from that will allow them to see that there is a way in which the adults with autism, when they leave supported education, can contribute, as Polly was saying, to the community, can fulfill their own potential, 
and can uh, enjoy a life that their parents can reflect upon and live their lives properly as well. A very big agenda. So a safe environment, a safe and fulfilling environment. The critical thing for us is to ensure that uh, for parents, uh, in the UK, one of the big challenges is the provision of space for people who need certain levels of ongoing care. Uh, over 70% of adults with autism still with, live with their parents, and that's an incredible number in the UK. We have around 500,000, half a million people with some form of autism. Now, if we just assume that perhaps 50,000, 10% of those need some form of residential support care, it's amazing when we look at the real numbers and find that less than 5,000, that's 5,000 places are available at the present time. So there's a huge need. And the thing that people worry about most is how is their child, now an adult, going to be treated in the wider community? Yes. It's a real, real challenge because the safety of those individuals and the cases of brutality and uh, physical intervention that we hear about uh, are the things that motivated me directly to get completely involved and make this a reality for as many as we can. Mm -hmm. And what will be the components, the types of areas where services will be provided? Well, we think it's very important that the facility, our first facility that we'll be constructing in the United Kingdom, will be centered around uh, uh, what we're terming a wellness center, uh, a unique outpatient resource where we can provide access to all the things that you've been discussing with Polly in the last half an hour or so, nutritionalists, therapists, and other behavioral, educational, and developmental experts. Because at the present time, whilst there are a good number of experts in the UK, it's very hard to find them. It's very hard to validate them. And so at the center of our facility will be a wellness center that allows parents, carers, and individuals with autism to gain support. That's going to be linked, though, to residential facilities for a number of adults who will have a home for life. They'll have an environment where they can uh, undertake and develop their vocational capabilities, combining it'll be a rural environment where there'll be horticulture and agriculture taking place, but also access to enable leading-edge technology to be deployed. As you know, Terry, I know many uh, individuals with autism are quite exceptional in some of their technical capacities, maybe web design, maybe some of the focuses of uh, graphical design, and we'll be combining the best of technology to enable these individuals to fulfill their potential alongside those who may be more suited to a calmer external outdoor environment. Mm -hmm. So we have the wellness center, we have the residential housing, we also have the vocational opportunities, and very, very importantly, this is going to be fully integrated with the local community. It's important that the local community can support the training of teachers, can be trained perhaps as carers, but we can also provide a broader-based training facility to the, uh, the national and perhaps wider autism community. Mm -hmm. And are, will there also be additional support, therapeutic support, uh, added yes. therapy? I mean, one of the things that we, we know is that there are a, a, a limited number of truly great professionals on the autism, perhaps we could call it circuit internationally, and they're in demand all over the world. What we want to be able to do is enable some of those specialists to perhaps come through to the UK for, you know, it might be one week every quarter, one week a year perhaps, and allow the parents in the UK to know that they're going to be coming, 
to be able to make an appointment to see some of the, the truly uh, well-regarded international greats as they, as they come to the UK, as well as the regular team that we'll have who will be resident and will be uh, full-time at the Autism Trust First facility. Okay, and will there be other kinds of supports for families? Yes. We, one of the things that Polly was describing earlier is that uh, as all the Autism File team have found, whether it's Anne, John, the other team that work with us, Ela, Lisa, is that we're constantly inundated in the principal office with people who want to be able to talk. They want to be able to hear what's going on, and they want to be able to share their concerns. And that really needs to be taken onto a new platform. There are other charities that offer similar facilities in the UK, but there can never be enough. Uh, we need to be able to ensure that those who do need help can turn to us, and we'll do everything we can to give them the level of help the level of support and, and, very important, the level of assurance that we know that people in that situation do need. Very good. And, Polly, would you like to elaborate upon any of this? Yeah, well, it's very important to me. I'm very passionate about this because it's every parent's fear and it's, it's what keeps a lot of parents awake at night if it's not their child, is that they lie in bed wondering, and I know this from the letters I get and I feel it the same uh, what is going to happen to our children when we're not, we're not around? And that's why the Autism Trust, to me, is going to be the perfect solution for, for my son anyway, and hopefully great many others, is that this is going to be a place where they're going to be loved and cared for. When we employ every member of staff, they are going to be just the most perfect people. And there are some great people out there working with autism. They're not hard to find. There's just not enough of them. And that's why the training side is so important is that we get these people in, people who want to work with autism, and we pay them a good wage because it's an important job. Yes. I can't understand. I saw, Terry, an advert in a local paper in Dorset, which is in the country here, that was advertising for people to work with severe autism. And it said, no experience necessary. English wasn't even necessary as their language. It didn't matter what they were or where they came from, and it was minimum wage. Now, that is not acceptable. This job is an important job. They will get paid properly, and they will feel so proud of what they do because they will love what they do because it's going to be exciting. Working with autism is exciting because you get so much back from it. These children have so much to offer. It doesn't matter whether they're severe or whatever their label is. There is so much in there. There's a little girl, Terry, that is has quite severely autistic that doesn't live far from here. She's only 10, and she doesn't speak, and she doesn't do anything if you look at her from the outside in. But she sits there weaving away the most beautiful little tapestries. Now, that girl has got so much to offer in the future. I want to take a child like that. It doesn't matter if she ever speaks, and help her. Absolutely. And do you have plans to expand the Autism Trust to other countries? Yes, we do. Um, the UK is going to be our starting base, but we're currently in the process of setting up a US charity, a 501c organization that I'm doing with one of our colleagues in Washington, D.C., and we expect and hope that the Autism Trust will be very much part of the, uh, the US uh, topography as much as it's going to be at the heart of what's taking place here in the UK. Well, the need is so great all over, so it's uh, great that you're moving forward with this project and hoping to expand. Where can listeners go for more information? Uh, for more information on the trust, it's uh, www.theautismtrust.org.uk. 
Well, Polly and Oliver, thank you for providing these much-needed services to help inform and enrich children and families touched by autism and for your further plans for helping into the future. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Next week, Tuesday, October 7th, my guest will be award-winning author of multiple autism books, Chantal Cecile Kira, on the release date of Autism Life Skills, From Communication and Safety to Self-Esteem and More, 10 Essential Abilities Every Child Needs and Deserves to Learn. Please visit www.chantalcecilecira.com. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. Please email me with any questions at taranga at autism1.org. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enzymedica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.